It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host today, Adam Adams, and I'm joined with Clint Coons from Anderson Business Advisors. So welcome to the show, Clint. Let's get started. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Okay, well, uh, of course, I'm an attorney, but uh, more than that, I'm an actual real estate investor. I think that's what really sets me apart from so many people in the industry, you know, professionals that uh, do what we do here at Anderson, is that I've amassed a portfolio of over 100 properties across the United States. And so what makes me unique, I believe, in putting this stuff together is that I not only see it from the asset protection side, but I also see it from the ability to put deals together and how asset protection works and, and can, how it can potentially hurt you hmm. um, when you're putting these things together. So I, I bring a unique approach, I would say, to asset protection and tax planning for real estate investors. If you had to sum it up, what is it that Anderson does for its clients? Well, what Anderson does is we create structures that is, you know, are definitely going to protect you in the event of a lawsuit. And you know, real estate is highly litigious that there are plenty of people out there would like to take what you've been accumulating. But then we take it from there. And one step further than what most people do is that we also look at the tax side because so many people can put together an asset protection structure, not understanding the tax ramifications of what it is they're doing. For example, I recently uh, worked with an individual who was trying to put together or had put together a plan with a local attorney for a multifamily unit and they set the LLC up as a disregarded entity. Now that's fine. It gave mass asset protection, but what the attorney did not understand is that by not having that entity taxed as either an S corp or a partnership, that was going to create problems down the road when this individual tried to sell. And most definitely when he tried to sell the property, he couldn't find a buyer who could obtain financing because his entity wasn't filing a tax return. So, you know, doing mm. the taxes is really important, but it's also understanding what the end game is. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I was really interested to know some of the exciting changes that have happened recently with that new tax bill. Could you touch a little bit upon that? Yeah, so with the new tax bill, uh, there's still a lot of confusion out there amongst individuals as how best to set up their investments or their entities to ensure that they can capitalize on that 20% pass-through deduction that is available. And quite frankly, it's not that difficult. Um, if you're a real estate investor and you've recently acquired property and you have a high tax basis in it, you know, then you're gonna be able to qualify. And the, and the benefit to you is that, uh, if say you made $80,000, you could potentially save or, or avoid paying taxes on $16,000 of that revenue as it passes down to you. So this has created a huge opportunity mm. for people who invest in real estate. Wow. At the same time, it's not as straightforward as we might like. And this is a question I get a lot at the, at the workshops is that, well, someone will come up and say, hey, if I have $20,000 in rent, rental income coming in, does that mean I'm gonna be able to exclude $4,000 of it? Well, unfortunately, I can't give you off the cuff answers here because mm. we actually run you through different calculations to look at your income, look at the basis in the property, and then make a determination. But from a general standpoint, yeah, there are opportunities out there. Great. I appreciate you telling me. And you, you said at the beginning that you have a portfolio of over 100 properties, right? That is correct. How did you get into real estate yourself? Oh, my dad forced me into it, I think. Uh, he wanted indentured servants when we were kids, my brother and I. So I started working with my dad. We used to, um, he would buy houses for a buck. So it was a home that people were going to tear down. 
and mm. we would come in, we would jack the house up and then move it. And we'd already created a cinder block foundation, bring this house in, drop it right onto the foundation, hook everything back up. And there you'd have a house for about, you know, $40,000 when you factor in all your moving costs, mm. it built in equity of at least double that. And so we did this for a number of years. And then he had multifamily that I worked on. So that was my background. I just knew, uh, I used to be a framer when I was in college. And so this just kind of carried with me and that's, I just started buying properties. Thanks for sharing that. When we were talking about the tax bill, you, you mentioned some good things. Is there any hidden gotchas in the new tax bill? No, I don't think there's any hidden gotchas. I, what I do find amusing about it though, is that everyone talked about simplifying the tax code and what it has actually done for us is made it more complex. Mm. Which, you know, it's great for Anderson, of course, because we prepare taxes for our clients. So there's more work there. Okay. Uh, and that's the, that, that is what I would say is the only drawback to the tax code. It's just, I think it's going to be very difficult for an individual to prepare their taxes now on their own if they're looking to capture that pass-through deduction. Um, let's see. Oh, entity structures. A lot of different ways of structuring things. Could you go into a little bit of like the unique strategies that Anderson has been using? Absolutely. You know, first and foremost, when we look at putting together structures, I, I'm of the belief that if they don't know you have it, then they're not going to try to take it from you. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I impress upon my attendees and my, my clients is privacy. You know, that is to keep your affairs private. I can tell you as a child growing up, I remember my mother receiving phone calls at 2 a.m. in the morning from disgruntled tenants. And they would typically know that my father was out of town because uh, his job required that he fly out of town uh, mm -hmm. on a regular basis. And so they wouldn't see him around the property. So then they would know, hey, he's gone. Let's call up and harass uh, Mrs. Coons. Mm. And that could have been solved. I mean, if my father had held his assets in a way in which people didn't know, you know that he owned them, uh, where he lived, then these calls would have never come in. And my mom would not have to sleep with the 45 in her bed because she's concerned <laughs> that... Uh, somebody may be coming through the door in the evening. So when we're structuring people, what we do at Anderson is that we first start with this base level of, you know, creating a privacy shield. So if somebody's looking, they don't know what you have, and then use LLCs to flow down through that privacy shield back to you. So from a tax standpoint, it's, there's no privacy with the IRS, of course, but mm -hmm. from outside creditors looking in, I can tell you that it's extremely effective. I recently had a, a situation Actually, it's a couple of years back with a client that I'd structured in this manner. And he was being sued for $15 million. And he was able to walk away with policy limits because plaintiff's counsel, and they actually told him this. They said, you know, we're settling with you because you have no assets. Uh, the other plaintiff were, or defendant we're not going to settle with because we found that that individual has over $25 million in real estate. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate but for that other individual. But when you structure yourself properly they don't know you have it, You're, they're more apt just to take what they can get from the insurance and walk away. Great stuff. You've had all sorts of experience within, you know, jacking up houses, buying them for a dollar, um, and being an advisor for, uh, and as an attorney. I guess from your experience, what would be your best advice to people just getting started into real estate? Well, my best advice is don't follow your local professional's advice unless they're an active real estate investor and they've dealt with investor clients who have faced challenges before. 
You see, most attorneys, they don't understand what it is you're going to face when it comes to investing. And many times people get just bad information, such as don't set up an entity until you have a lot of assets. Mm -hmm. Remember, every time you're signing a contract, you're creating liability for yourself. And those, that liability can extend up to six years under a contract claim. And so I tell people, never sign in your own name. Always sign in a way which limits your liability exposure. So I tell mm -hmm. people, you should have an entity before you start investing. The second piece of advice that a lot of people receive that I think is setting them up for failure is just buy insurance, buy an extra umbrella policy or, or increase your, your coverage. Well, mm -hmm. those people that make that type of recommendation, again, do not appreciate the risk that real estate poses. I mean, right now I've been dealing with a few clients who are being sued for toxic mold. And this is a hot issue in real estate. That is, if your property has mold, now they all call it toxic. And then the problem is, is that you can have $10 million in coverage and it won't do you a darn bit of good hmm. because it's an environmental contamination. And so one of your greatest threats when it comes to owning real estate isn't even covered by an insurance policy. And what's so atrocious and I find personally offensive is that courts do not take notice of this and kick these people out of the courtroom that really have no basis being there. One of my clients right now is involved in a case where the tenant installed their own washing machine and they did not put the rubber gasket in the hose. Mm -hmm. so, the, so it leaked. And now toxic mold, as they quoted, developed on the wall that's adjoining the bedroom. Mm -hmm. My client kicks the tenant out. And the first thing they do is turn around and sue my client for toxic mold exposure. It was created by the tenant. You think that's wow. going to case is going to get thrown out? Heck no. It's a question for the jury. So he's now having to defend it. And unfortunately, yeah. it's on his own dime because the insurance company told him it's not covered. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, is there any other advice that you want to leave with the listeners? Yeah, what I, what I would tell you is that, you know, when it comes to creating a plan, uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. I know there's a lot of people out there that tout limited liability companies, you know, set them up in Nevada or Wyoming, Delaware. Mm -hmm. um, you really need to work with someone who's experienced, who understands what it is you're doing. Yeah, there could be some benefits from those states. There may mm -hmm. not be for what it is you're doing. And we run into a lot of people who create structures that truly do not benefit them because they don't know it. I mean when you're going to find out about it is when you're being audited or you're trying to evict someone, bring an unlawful detainer action, or you're being sued. And then you find yeah. out the structure you created isn't going to work. It's not going to help you. Yeah. You know, I've heard the same thing. A lot of people talk about, you know, you have to do it in Iowa, you have to do it in Wyoming or uh, Nevada. Mm -hmm. um, those three come up quite a bit. So when you guys are setting up entities, are you setting up entities in those States or yeah. Typically, if it's real estate that you own in a particular state, we're going to create an LLC in the state where the property is located. It just, I mean, you're yeah. going to get there because you're doing business. However, um, I will oftentimes have that LLC that's, let's say, set up in Indiana, owned by a Wyoming limited liability company to extend a privacy shield so that people who look at your Indiana LLC will not see that you're the personal owner of it. Mm -hmm. And so again, that goes back to my earlier point of ensuring that, you know, everything you have is hidden, but yeah, you need the LLC set up in the state where the property is located when you're owning property. If you're flipping, that's eh, not so important. You can choose a different jurisdiction for flips because they're isolated transactions. But then again, on top of this, it comes down to how you put your deals together. Are you using financing? And so what 
we do at Anderson is we're pretty methodical about asking questions. You know, if mm-hmm. you're setting up this deal, I need to know, well, how are you going to fund it? Are you going to use private money? You know, is it going to be traditional financing? Is it a community lender? Okay, is it institutional financing? Because all those have a bearing on the recommendation we'd make on how you should put your uh, entity in place or when you should put it in place. Yeah, so that makes sense. And I've, I've heard just a ton of people that use um, out-of-state entities. So it sounds like um, you will utilize them for some reasons, but maybe the best reason to use them, as I think you stated, was it mostly for anonymity, right? Not, not necessarily for asset protection, it, not necessarily f- to uh, solve litigation issues, but to kind of um, put a veil over top of what you're doing, what you own, so people don't just like type up Clint Coons and find out where your hundred houses are and trip and fall on purpose or something like that. Is that? That's, that's exactly right. Okay. You okay. Know, I ran into an individual at an event who had uh, set up an LLC online with a, a company out of Nevada to mm-hmm. own their Illinois rental property. And again, everything was just fine until they tried to bring an unlawful detainer action. They called us up and they said, hey, we just got booted out of court and the tenant is allowed now to stay in this property for another three months without paying us because we have to start our action over. And they said our LLC wasn't registered properly. And they wanted to know, you know, how was the LLC set up wrong? And I, I looked at it, I said, no, I mean, you had a Nevada LLC owning property in Illinois. It's doing business there. Unless you file it there, you can't bring an action. And that's the penalty mm-hmm. for not understanding what you were doing. And I know they got bad advice, but unfortunately, a lot of people fall into that trap. And there's a lot of things that, as I understand it, that your company will add to a contract or put within your LLC documents that uh, give further protection uh, over anybody, you know, do it in, doing it themselves or just picking a, a, a regular asset attorney. Because as I understand it, you guys go, uh, a, a step farther and make it very difficult to penetrate. Is there any of that information that you could share with the listeners or why they would need to use you guys instead of just kind of setting it up? Sure, absolutely. I mean, it all comes down to understanding the provisions that are in your agreement and, and possibly get an idea of, you know, understanding what's not in there that you may need. One of the uh, exercises I walk people through at our at our class when we teach an asset protection course is I'll actually throw up provisions like you stated. And I'll ask people, say, hey, what do you think about this? It states that the LLC shall distribute all the cash on a monthly basis to its members, or it'll distribute enough money to cover their tax liability. Mm-hmm. And people are jazzed about it. They think, yeah, I want an LLC that has that type of language in there. But then when I show them what could happen, that if they were sued individually, they wouldn't be able to restrict distributions from going to their creditors. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden the light goes off and they realize yeah. what looked good to them on paper is not the greatest in the event of a lawsuit. So it's understanding the language that's in there. And what I tell people is if you look at your LLC and if there's ever a directive in there that uses words such as shall rather than may, you should avoid that. I mean, you want to have the discretion to make distributions to yourself. You don't, want, you don't need an LLC telling you when to make distributions out of that company. You wanna have charging order protection. So if you're sued personally, they can't take your interest from you. Uh, if you're doing joint ventures, I mean, that's where it gets really complicated. You know, prior to this, uh, I just got off a phone call with an individual who did a joint venture and a local attorney in Texas set it up for him. And he's lost $300,000. And his question to me was, you know, what, what can I do? Should I sue him? 
And I said, you know, quite frankly, I wouldn't do it because if you go after this guy, you're probably not going to get anything. You're going to spend $100,000 on an attorney mm-hmm. and you're going to be even further in the hole. And I said, you know, it's real simple. I'm looking at your operating agreement and it didn't cover the situation that you're describing and it should have been. And he had an attorney drafted. He doesn't understand why the attorney didn't include it in there. Yeah. It just comes down to experience. Yeah, that's all, that's all really, really good stuff. Um, so I guess before we let you go, if somebody in one of the audience members is kind of listening to this and understanding this is another level of protection, this thing that you know, everybody needs to be doing, how do they get a hold of you and your company to uh, hire you or ask you further questions? You're sure. If they want a free consultation, they can go to andersonadvisors.com, A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N advisors.com. And, you know, look through our website. We've got a lot of information uh, regarding real estate investors. You can look my name up uh, on YouTube and, and check out some of my videos there. But, you know, the way we, we're a little different than most people is that we want to give you a lot of information. We want clients to be informed before mm-hmm. they actually decide to utilize us. And yeah. that's because then they understand it and they're less likely to mess it up when they're operating mm-hmm. it. Totally. It also makes, yeah, makes it a lot easier for us to deal with them because, you know, when I start throwing out terms such as land trust and assign your beneficial ownership, they know what I'm talking about and they don't sound <laughs> they're like deer in the headlights. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate that. Um, and if you're listening, just go down, scroll down a little bit and you'll have andersonadvisors.com. Is that right? Anderson That's Advisors. Correct. So you can just kind of click on that real fast right now. So anyway, thank you, Clint. Uh, You've added so much value. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you later. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye. Colorado real estate agents and brokers, are you interested in producing at a higher level? Of course you said yes. So Colorado Brokers Association is the place to be. They offer free CE credits as well as high level networking happy hours. You're going to find the link to this great resource in today's show notes. 